You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 24, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow my work on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, this was supposed to be an all-22 film review show, as we typically do, But two things happened. First, it's a short week, so those deadlines, they are melting like ice cream in the sun, baby. Second, that ice cream melted quick because NFL Game Pass is the worst product on the planet. And when they cut this miserable Vikings-Eagles game, instead of it being a sequential, coherent rendering of how the game actually happened, they basically just threw the literal film at some samurais, let them hack it to pieces, and then jammed the sliced fragments into a box, shook it up, ate it, then crapped it out onto the internet. Never in my life, Ben, as bad as Game Pass is, have I seen such a jumbled mess. The plays are everywhere. They're cut in a weird order. Some plays are actually halves of other plays that include full plays of the next play for the cold hard cash totaling $100 that I threw down and thousands of others have paid for this product. They have done a wonderful job over the years making me regret every single dollar of it because I would rather be mule kicked in my coin purse. On top of it all, I'm still stuck on the fact that people said that we should bench Lane Johnson for Vitae and Vitae gave up a sack just by setting foot on the field. How you doing, brother? Mule kick coin purse. Hang on, I'm just... No, <laughs> no Google's uh, Google's got nothing for me here. I didn't know if this was some idiom or reference that I don't know. I did some... Oh, that's all kissed, baby. <laughs> it's all kissed? We That's got to be a... Uh... That's got to be a t-shirt. It's got to be the Bleeding Green Nation merch store, man. It's all kissed, baby. Okay, that, that's got to be that's got to be a quote for the podcast. Right. Game Pass. Yeah. Just dreadful. There's no worse feeling than buying it every year, knowing that I have to and I have no other alternatives, right? But it's it's but there's been times where it's like, oh, you know, uh, no huddle, and yet the Eagles are in like completely different personnel, you know, and it's like, okay, Game Pass, whatever you say. But I've never once clicked on a play before. And had a completely different play start right in the middle until I tried to watch the Vikings uh, all twenty two. So 
all the all 22 takes that that are kind of predicated on like sequencing and counter punches and 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 calling a play script we kind of don't really have because everything was super jumbled you still kind of go through it you get the uh, the film you can kind of evaluate uh, player performance is kind of isolated in a box. Understand why one play went the way that it did. So limited, but we still we still got some takes. And I, I was um you know I was going through the um the the Colts film and the Titans film beforehand, just the offense because uh, I was uh, breaking down the offensive line play for a post that's already up on on Bleeding Green Nation uh, by the time that this podcast comes out. So you can check that out. Uh, and that was that was nice because you get to see things that are familiar a lot more clearly when you watch different games like that back to back to back. So that's really nice. Yeah. But, uh, speaking of things to click, uh, Mike, I really enjoyed the play action piece, man. Thank you. That was a good one. I had a chance to tell you yet, but that was, that was a fun piece. I I appreciate that. Yeah. Go to bleedinggreennation.com and we're going to be talking about play action, uh, in the preview show because the giants running a lot too. And we'll talk about a little bit later when we get into the film review. But first there are a couple of pressing, topics that we have to handle obviously this week is going to be a little bit different because of the short week so we're going to be kind of all over the place ben there is a ton of rumored moving and shaking going on with the eagles but nobody is actually dancing yet we've heard it for days now about the eagles having interest in Le'Veon bell and then about how they didn't personally i hold the opinion still that Jason Lockenfora is a hack and made this whole thing up. So I'm not surprised that we didn't have interest as they're reporting now. Or maybe we did. Who knows? Maybe right after I post this, they'll trade for Bell because that's how things work. But it's not looking like that's going to happen now. More running backs have entered the fray, including my favorite running back in the league, my personal favorite, David Johnson, who is in the Guantanamo Bay equivalent of offenses in Arizona with how they use them, which they apparently never watched his tape before and have no idea how to use him in the very late. And, and then you add to the fray LaShawn McCoy. So insiders keep chopping that wood. Eventually a tree is going to fall. Or is it, Ben? Do, do you believe any of this? Because I'm to the point where I either want something to happen so that we can deal with it, get on with our lives, living with the new reality of our new backfield, or the trade deadline can come and save us from all this purgatory while we deal with Corey Clement as running back one. This is all happening around Fletcher Cox restructuring his deal, which frees up 6.5 mil this year, 11.7 mil next year. But that happened before our beloved Jay tore his ACL. But it doesn't mean that they're not still looking at LaShawn McCoy, apparently, who is also a third deadly serious name. Ben, what do you make of all this? And remember what you say can and will be used against you in kangaroo court. The floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, so when the, the, the first point is when it comes to Fletcher Cox, the restructuring was on a Friday. The news only got dropped on Monday. Uh, and then uh, Jay Ajayi, obviously the injury, we know he goes to IR on Monday. That being said, you already had Ajayi on a pitch count uh, because of the back issue. You already had Darren Sproles, a player who's older, whose game is predicated on quickness, who's coming back from an ACL injury, who's now got a nagging hamstring thing. And hamstrings don't really go away. You know what I mean? Like, it's very tough to come 100% back from a hamstring. And we can see that Sproles hasn't really played for the past three, four weeks. Uh, so running back help was already something Philadelphia needed. So there's that. I also do believe that the LaShawn McCoy situation was uh, has has some run to it, simply because if you were to be trading for a, a one-year rental running back, LaShawn just makes a ton of sense, even if you're not Philadelphia, where he played for six years and is the franchise leader in rushing yards. Da, 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 you know what I mean? LaShawn is less than $4 million against the cap if you trade for him uh, after week six, which I would imagine Philadelphia would do. Uh, because you can't really get him in and then get him ready for the Giants. And honestly, you don't really need to, I think. 
Like, I would prefer him to come in, and, and the Jaguars don't really know how he's going to be used to what extent, rather than bring him in, shove him into action quickly against the Giants, and then regain plan for the Jaguars. Uh, so Especially when we're already having trouble with, like, illegal formation penalties and miscommunications yeah. and things like that, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've got, um, uh, you know, after the, the Giants week, it'll be through week six, so that's 11 weeks left. Uh, and LaShawn McCoy's total contract, uh, those game checks, the 11 weeks remaining is under $4 million. And then LaShawn McCoy would have no more guaranteed money on the last year of his contract. He's uh, two years two years left on his deal uh, because that signing bonus money would accelerate then onto the Bills cap when he was traded. So uh, the Eagles could either retain him at $6.4 million in 2019 or they could cut or trade him with no dead cap in 2019. So he's a... Less than $4 million rental. Whereas we're talking about a guy with Le'Veon Bell, who with the game checks remaining on his franchise tender, would account for $4 million mm. in five games. Right. And we don't even know how active Bell's going to be playing. You know, Bell could play for only a few games and then sit. Like that's, you know, he, that's, that's what we could be dealing with. I think, so I think LaShawn makes a ton of sense in that regard. A ton of names get thrown around deservedly. And a lot of them do make sense. Like Tevin Coleman is a fan favorite. And Coleman makes sense if you can convince the Falcons to move on from him right now, which, like, you know, that's a thing. Uh, Carlos Hyde is one that gets thrown around, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, Nick Chubb has been playing better as of late. Duke Johnson signed a big new contract. They should be trying to get Duke Johnson more touches. Who really knows? Um, Listen, Carl Joseph was a name that got dropped for me. West Virginia safety, or safety out of West Virginia now with Oakland, who makes a ton of sense for the Eagles to trade for. He's benched in Oakland right now. Oakland, like, you know, Gruden said, oh, you know, like, we didn't draft Derwin because we want to keep, uh, because we just drafted Carl Joseph. He's not even starting Carl Joseph. He started Reggie Nelson. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, you have no idea what's going on with Gruden, so that's a possibility. There are a lot of players Philadelphia could trade for uh, to fill the, Small but significant holes on their roster. I think free safety is probably bigger than small. But like you know, a one A 1A running back is something they could probably survive without. But there's a t- there's a ton of names right now. The only one we've really heard run on is Lashawn McCoy. And so we can speculate about other ones. But I think Lashawn is a very reasonable one, and it makes a lot of sense. Carl Joseph makes sense too because you get the feeling that Gruden wants a he wants to build a team made by him for him to win one with his stamp on it rather than Tony Dungy's stamp on it. That was, I think, I really think that's a big thing with him and it's really the only thing that makes sense of the Khalil Mack trade. So yeah, I, I agree. Carl Joseph makes a ton of sense. Ben, I'm going to shot out of a cannon, man. You got to bang one, kill one, marry one. Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, LaShawn McCoy. Okay, I don't, I don't really even know how this conceptually works. We've done this. We've done this once before, and you were quite confused. That's why I brought it back. Well, I don't know, like, what the connotation of these three actions to the three players. That's not true. I know the connotation of kill and marry. I don't really know how bang works. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, what does it mean if I want to bang this running back? I want to use him once passionately and then not use him again? Like, you can't do that with players. They stay on your roster. Okay, well, uh, let's put it this way. Let's say kill is I, I don't want to trade for him. Bang is okay. uh, a one-year rental. We know he's going to be gone after next season. I have no interest in keeping him after the next season oh, for okay. whatever reason. So, and then Mary yeah, is, yeah. you know, we could keep this guy around. Mary David Johnson, yes. bang LaShawn McCoy, yes. kill Le'Veon Bell. I, yeah. I'm sorry. LaShawn or Le'Veon, if you're listening to this, I don't mean to talk to you guys about like uh, talk about you guys like that, but <laughs> they're definitely listening. This is how I would. This is how. I would, yeah, I mean, I feel like Le'Veon definitely listens to the podcast. He seems to really care what other people think. 
So, Ben, before we go and take a look back at the Minnesota Vikings, thank you for for humoring me with that. We have an injury report to get to, to relate to you, gentle listener, here for the upcoming Eagles game with the New York Giants tomorrow night on Thursday Night Football. For the Eagles, their practice report reads as such. Did not participate linebacker DJ Alexander, linebacker Nathan Gary, who's dealing with an ankle and a knee, Corey Graham with a hamstring. Oh, no. Fact is, he's just slow. Also, <laughs> defensive tackle Haloti Nada, running back Darren Sproles has a hamstring. I actually believe that one. Limited participation. Lane Johnson's dealing with an ankle. Carson Wentz, just rest. No big mm-hmm. deal. Full participation looks like Derek Barnett is back after that shoulder injury. Good to see mm-hmm. Corey Clement back with that quad with full participation. Sidney Jones took a knock to his ankle in the game against the Vikings. He participated in full, and Jason Peters participated in full as he continues to work back from that quad injury. Ben, any any mm-hmm. takeaways from this? It's nice to have uh, Barnett back as part of the rotation on a short week. No, for sure. I'll be interested to see where Lane is because yeah. what would be very frustrating is for an already highly ballooning, exacerbated, over-the-top conversation about Lane's play <laughs> to get further off the rails if he's limited against the Giants, just physically, but he's still out there. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't play to the caliber, which we'd be accustomed to him playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people are already unnecessarily coming for his throat, and then if he's out there at 80%, it's just going to get worse. For the Giants, did not participate. Linebacker Connor Barwin with a knee. Kicker Aldrich Ro- Ro- Rojas? Rosas? Do you have that one, Ben? Do you know that one? Are you asking me? Yes. I don't even know who this person is. Fantastic. Wide receiver, good good content here. Wide receiver Russell Shepard with a You're knife. asking me about the Giants kicker, Mike. You're supposed to know these things. You're the draft guy. He had to be drafted in the last few years, right? Aldrich Rojas? Rosas. Rosas? I'm like... Aldrich Rosas. Rosas. That's my guess. You got to roll the R. All right. Limited participation. Tight end Rhett Ellison. Tight end Evan Ingram with a knee. Continues to deal with that. And linebacker slash edge guy. Listed as a linebacker. Olivier Vernon with an ankle. He could make his season debut on his $17 million contract. Good for him. He probably won't be that effective anyway. Although if he gets a sack, Eagles Twitter will lose their minds and call for Halapuli Vativai. Can, can we talk about this real quick? Halapuli Vativai was in for like six snaps and gave up a sack. Like he's responsible. He's responsible for like three pressures in like one, like one or two drives. I think it was just one drive. He gave up just, just as many pressures from what I saw as Isaac Siamalu gave up in the first drive. And then I thought Siamalu played well for the rest of the game. I was actually surprised. I was expecting him to be very bad. So he must have been somewhat impressive for me to swing that way. What about you, Ben? Let, let's get into this Vikings thing here. I know we didn't get a chance to see okay. the L-22, but this is, this is what we're going to do now. I know you were watching the O-line heavily, and you watched a few games back mm-hmm. as well. So you have some some kind words for the gentle listeners, so maybe they don't have to freak out about this offensive line as much as they have been lately. First, a point. Aldrich Rosas, maybe Rosas, went to Southern Oregon in 2014, all right? Tore his ACL on his kicking leg in the NAIA championship game, missed the 2015 season, and then declared for the 2016 NFL draft. So forgive me for not knowing who he was. Did he get drafted? Undrafted. And then guess what? So he signs a futures deal with the Giants, wins the job in 2017. And then in 2017, Mike, 
He had the 31st best field goal conversion percentage and the worst point after attempt conversion percentage. 87% on point after attempts and then retained his job for the Giants. He's been perfect so far this season. That is a great come up story. What a yeah, exactly. What a what a what a tale. From a literal no one on this show to now we know just a little bit about him. What a great come up story. Ben yep. let's Okay. <laughs> let's talk offensive line. Lane Johnson is so good. Yeah. He's so good, guys. And like this is the the brunt of this idea is gonna the brunt of this discussion around the offensive line is simply going to be other teams are allowed to be good and other players are allowed to be good and they're allowed to win reps. And as we've talked about, balls have just not bounced Philadelphia's way. So like Lane Johnson gave up what is effectually a strip sack where Margus Hunt against the Colts came looping around on a stunt and Lane pretty handily stopped him. And while Carson was climbing up the pocket, he went to make a throw while climbing, which is not the greatest decision, but he went for it and usually gets away with that. Hunt threw his hand out and was able to tap the ball right when Carson was going through his motion. Ball pops up into the air. The defensive tackle for the Colts swats it out of the air, away from Carson Wentz, which I'm relatively certain was an illegal bat. I'm not positive. Um, And so he bats it over into space, and Marcus Hunt lands on it, and it's a key turnover in the in the in the red zone. The Colts have a short field. Versus, like you said, you know, uh, Eagles playing the Titans. Derrick Henry muffs a handoff. It lands in Brandon Graham's you know gut, and he's not able to corral it. Just like fumble recoveries regress to fifty percent. We know this. They're statistically a coin flip. Sometimes you just get yep. tails three times. You know what I mean? So the point there being, when you go and you watch Lane's tape or even Jason Peters' tape, or even Steven Wisniewski's tape. Snap in and snap out. All three of them were playing at the level we last saw them. I would say Jason Peters is probably half a step slower in terms of his recovery ability when he gets beat, which is already rare, uh, simply because he's just not agile, which Peters probably hasn't been agile for like two or three years, right? Uh, And obviously coming back from injury is going to exacerbate that issue. That means that Peters has to win reps earlier than I think he's accustomed to. And I think he's still trying to be very much a slow playing offensive tackle who lets the rusher come to him, which is his style. And he's successful there 92% of the time. Um, but he should look into playing more aggressively because I think that, that that helps protect him from those situations where he kind of really needs to run around the arc. But if we're focusing on Lane, who received a lot of flack for a Harold Landry sack uh, and then a Stephen Weatherly sack, right. that Harold Landry sack was... The product of three quarters of twists and stunts to that side. So you got to understand when you're an offensive tackle, you're reading a three technique to your left. So he he, a three technique right shaded to the outside shoulder of the guard. So he's between the guard and the tackle. And then you got a seven technique to your right. And the Titans were giving Lane seven techniques, nine techniques. Lane gave up another sack that he didn't really give up. It was a miscommunication. And the reason they miscommunicated is because an 11 technique was rushing. Like 91, right? Who I think is a Rackpo or somebody. No, it's Derek Morgan. Was like beyond the slot receiver and he came rushing. Yeah. And Lane had like no idea who to read. So it was crazy, right? So you get that three tech, you get that seven tech. And when you're playing against these st- these stunts, when you read three tech, seven tech, you're, ex- you're expecting a tackle end twist. So you're expecting the tackle to come crashing hard into that B gap, trying to draw the guard with him away from the center of the play. 
And then that seven tech is going to loop around and come down that middle a gap that the guard is vacated. That's what you're expecting when you're reading that. And so Lane is constantly slow playing to the outside. He's not setting hard to the outside and opening up that B gap. He's staying married to Brandon Brooks, right. constantly getting ready for that game, which is correct because that's how the Titans have rushed him. Now here comes Harold Landry, an incredibly talented young edge player. Harold Landry, Mike, in his first three steps, eats up five yards which is irregular. Like that's already <laughs> not what usually happens. Yep. Like that's a lot, very quickly, very explosive. Then Landry completely flattens to the quarterback in a way that is just impossible to like mechanically describe. <laughs> just in terms of he puts that outside foot down. He's been running towards the end zone for all three steps, big steps, picked up five yards. And he puts that left foot down, and he just leans and and just translates three yards over. It's incredible ability to bend the outside corner. You know, Lane gets a good shot in his in his pads, and that would have folded most edge rushers. Yeah. But Landry has natural bend, and Landry slips right through it. There's not like that was a good rush at a good time, attacking the tackle with the correct technique. And then Carson was beginning a throwing motion. The ball pops out, and the Titans recover. You know what I mean? There's only so much you can do there. The majority of the snap of the sacks that Philadelphia has given up and the majority of the pressures they've given up came from the Titans game. And the majority of those those pressures and those sacks came as a result of very difficult blitz and protection read calls from the offensive line. And when Wendell Smallwood was the primary pass protection back, Mike, it caused serious problems. There are two sacks back-to-back, I believe in the second quarter of the Titans game, Mm -hmm. both of which belong to Wendell Smallwood, technically. The first one, he makes the wrong read, and a free blitzer comes off the edge. In the second one, Jason Kelsey tries to audible the protection so that Wendell Smallwood doesn't have to worry about the interior rusher, and there's confusion to the left side of the line because Kelsey basically made a push call that you would never make in that situation solely because he's trying to protect Wendell Smallwood from having to do his job, right? right? So that later in the game, they've got Ajayi in there. Ajayi executes the same protection to perfection against the same blitz look, strong, uh, the double eagle look, two linebackers in the A-gaps, and then a, a blitzer from the weak side off of the edge, right? That's the look, and, and Ajayi executes it perfectly, you know what I mean? They, you've got green dogs coming in where Kelsey would go to help Steven Wisniewski with Jarrell Casey, and once Kelsey opened to do that, a linebacker would come shooting down. The second he saw Kelsey take his head away and go go off for help, he came shooting down. Minnesota did a similar thing when he would go to help Sayo Malo. This is the reality. The Eagles' offensive line over the past three weeks has struggled to handle exotic blitz packages. That's what that's that that's that's where we are. That belongs not to Lane, not to Peters, not to Wisniewski, not to Carson, not to Kelsey. It belongs to everybody, and it belongs to Jeff Stoutland to an extent as well. Yeah. I think two things. I think two things will help with that in a very big way. Number one, I think Corey Clement coming back will help a lot. Yeah. Simply because of this, it's not even that Corey can hit guys better than Smallwood can. He can, uh, but it's not even that. It's the fact that exactly Mike's Mike's tap in his forehead. Wendell just doesn't see blitzers well. He just doesn't see it. He doesn't understand who's coming at him from what angles. He gets tunnel vision when he's pass protecting. Clement has always been a head on a swivel, I'm going to go find color and hit somebody sort of a guy. Very effective in that regard. So I think that number one is just going to help because Clement can get you out of a couple of binds. And then number two, Ashil Kapadia had a wonderful post uh, detailing how Carson is not really releasing the ball any quicker 
or any any slower this season than, than he was last, last season. season. Right. Number one, he is releasing it slower. Yeah, he's really ta- taking longer to release the football. It's all it's close to a full second or a full uh, tenth of a second, which, yeah. as we've discussed, is actually a decent amount when you look at the range. But still, even if we acknowledge that it's close, yeah, Carson's not releasing the football any sooner but when you watch a lot of these reps a lot of the times Carson's at a point where he's giving up a sack fumble or he's giving up a hit because he's in his throwing motion quarterbacks are stationary when they're in their throwing motion when they're not there yet they can move around a lot more and so we're talking about if Carson begins his process 0.2 seconds earlier None of this is translating. So even though the release time is relatively the same, so frequently Carson's uh, a tenth of a second behind when pressure's arriving. Whether or not it's his fault, you know, is, is irrelevant. What really matters here is his internal clock is likely going to speed up and he's going to be a little quicker getting the ball out, throwing with a little bit more anticipation and likely you're going to see quicker breaking routes as a result because we've had so many fumbles because Carson's in his throwing motion right when pressure arrives. So that, that, that's going to be an adjustment that happens irregardless of who to whom the blame belongs. So that's what I think uh, in terms of what your what problems have been had at the offensive line, why so much pressure is being generated. And a final point, which you can go look at on the post, and I'll wrap this up because it's been a long rant. <laughs> I take close to zero credence in uh, uh, data analysis and, and into uh, subscriptions and organizations that chart pressure simply because it is incredibly subjective. And Mike and I have referenced many times, the Eagles are generating X amount of pressure uh, and they their opposing quarterback is this much time to throw. We're generating a, we're, we're referencing a pressure chart there, obviously. But the nice thing about that is that that is relative within the company. So if it's PFF, well, you know, like, all right, the Eagles 43% of pressure was second highest. We know they're grading it on the same scale. When you hop from PFF to Sports Info Solutions to ESPN, you get mm. wildly different numbers from all three regarding how much pressure the Eagles are giving up. Like ESPN has the Eagles as giving up one of the fewest amounts of pressure in the league on a snap to snap basis. <laughs> Which is right? Nonsense. Which like it's, it's, it's not, you know. So, you know, Lane Johnson has given up the second most pressures out of right tackle. I'm here to tell you that I I I watch football players and people give me money to do it and to the extent to which you value my opinion, Lane Johnson is playing really good football. He's yep. a very talented right tackle. He's one of the top 3 right tackles in the league, He's one of the top 6 tackles in the NFL. That's all. And, and when you when you talk about those pressure rates, you're right, and, and they go across different different companies. There's a high variance there, and that's why I always stick with PFF because I know their definition and I know how they apply it. And when I watch the film and I see that they chart this guy at eight pressures or nine pressures, I count two and I chart it and I go, hmm, that's pretty close to what I think a pressure is. I think this is what they're calling a pressure. And at the end of it, I look and I tally it up and I go, yeah, that's pretty, that's, that's close enough for me. So yeah, that's why I go with them. However, where you get into trouble as far as pressures allowed, we can very easily tell if a defensive player is getting a pressure. It's hard to tell, especially with the things that the Eagles are facing. Who is allowing that pressure under what circumstances? Because the definition that they give for allowing a pressure for an offensive lineman, it's very similar to the way that we warn you about coverage stats because there are other factors involved, extraordinary circumstances, and they have to chart it a certain way because that's their definition. But for instance, Sports Info Solutions, you can have something that's called an inside zone and it's actually outside zone. But because they cut it inside, they chart it as inside zone. All of these things matter. That's why checking the film is important. And what I see with the Eagles defensive line 
is a defensive line that is getting pressure. Watch the Vikings game again. I guarantee you, you see, you can freeze frame it when Cousins throws the ball. There are one to two guys there about 40% of the time, and that's about where PFF charted. Now, as far as Lane Johnson goes, yeah, absolutely. I think he's playing very well, and he's not responsible himself for fumbles. Wentz puts it on the turf, too. That's not all on Lane. So I agree with that point, too. Watch the rewatch the uh, the Vikings game. Outside of that one sack, Lane played yeah. freaking great. And the other pressure he gave up was because Carson ran directly into it. So there's that part of it, too. And, and there's Ben, there was a question I wanted to ask you about the uh, the Harold yes. Landry one. His vertical set, if he's expecting a stunt, he's got that, that wide three tech. In his vertical set, is he squeezing to give his guard a presence and then getting out? To the end to protect against right. the stunt. So listen, you'll see Jason Peters do this all of the time. And Lane typically doesn't do it as much because what Lane's preferred style of pass protection is, all right, I'm going to set into space. You're going to have an inside path if you want it. You're going to have an outside path if you want it. You want to know why? Because I'm an unbelievable freaking athlete. No matter where <laughs> you go, I'm going to catch up with you because I'm Lane Johnson. He's got a very cocky way of pass protecting. I'm he just going to say yeah. it. And then Lane will give you his chest, which, like, offensive linemen are taught, like, win with your hands, win early. And Lane will be like, come hit me. Like, come on, come right through me, right? That's it, very cocky. And then Lane will will get his very long arms up underneath you, and he's got great flexibility, and he'll just sit back, anchor, and drop, and you won't have anywhere to go, right? And so, so frequently, Carson will be releasing, and Lane will be, like, five inches from him, right? Like, that Marcus Hunt strip sack, Marcus Hunt is blocked lane johnson won the rep marcus hart jumps and swats at the air while carson's running by and taps the football out nine times out of ten he misses it okay so that's that that's lane's preferred style of blocking but what you'll see jason peters do is jason peters will just stay married to his left guard just just Mm. give he'll he'll aggressive jump set out and then and then enter a 45 little fake jump set just to take the speed off of you so you can't beat him outside uh, and then he'll stay married to his left guard, come patiently into space, give you that outside track. There's no inside, Mike. You can't come through me. I'm Jason Peters, and there's no inside. And then once you go outside, he'll open his hips, he'll yeah. get your near shoulder, and he'll just steer you beyond the peak of the pocket. Correct. All right? So that's Peter's preferred way of doing things. Lane, in this situation where he's got to worry about that stunt crasher coming down, has to stay married to his right guard, mm-hmm. attached to him, closing that space the same way Peters usually does. And so what Lane was looking for on that Landry play was the steer around the back of the pocket. Number one, it's not what he usually does. And number two, Harold Landry is really tough to beat that way, <laughs> which is why, as I said, it's a really good rush for Landry, understanding how Lane's going to play him and how Lane's been conditioned by the stunts. So there you go. Lane's failed pass protection attempt against Weatherly, the inside swim. Mike, I can't say how many times players hit Lane on inside swims. He lands on their torso with his hands and he carries them into Steven Wisniewski, right? right. He carries them across the face of the pocket. It happens very, very frequently. He did was not able to land hands on Weatherly. He missed him. He didn't get him. But I can't emphasize to you enough, and this is this is the primary thing. If we sit back and we recognize how we watch football, you know, uh, off the top of your head, Mike, uh, the um, 56-yard uh, touchdown to Jordan Matthews against the Titans. Was the protection good or bad? You don't really remember. Yeah, no, I don't. Wow, I don't. Yeah. Right, you don't. I know you it was quarters under the coverage. It was, it was a, it was a 56-yard <laughs> touchdown. Right. Nobody was watching the offensive line. 56-yard touchdown to Jordan Matthews. Catch and run. Eagles go up by seven. Okay, here you go. Here's one. You, you, do you remember this? The 68-yard pass from Kirk Cousins to Adam Thielen. Was the protection good or bad? Oh, my God. No. Cousins got planted. <laughs> yeah, there Cousins you go. Cousins got planted in the ground. 
Right, exactly. No, like uh, <laughs> I knew you would remember that. The, I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> the only time we remember pass protection is one when there's a sack, or yeah. two when the pass protection is so good that the commentators point it out because nothing else is going on in the play. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> we're watching what's, where the ball is. You know. So simply as a, as a viewer, when you say like, "Man, I feel like Lane hasn't played as well this year," the reality is Lane's given up two sacks, and we typically like Lane hasn't given up two sacks within five games i absolutely yeah. give you that you might even say lane's given up three sacks with the other one he gave up with the titans if you want to do that one which i wouldn't really but whatever we're not used to that uh and, and and so it feels like those stand out so starkly as lane's playing poorly but if you evaluate lane or jason peters or in my argument steven wisniewski from a snap to snap basis they weren't uh playing that poorly you know what yeah. i mean the eagles offensive line as a whole has given up more pressures and sacks than usual i attribute that a lot to uh, the communication, a lot of these exotic packages they got from the Titans and the Colts especially. I attribute that number two to the fact that Carson is, as he always has been, a little bit slow in the pocket, a little bit too willing to hold onto the football and to deal with stuff with bodies around him. And very often we excuse the process for the results. Uh, The Corey Clement touchdown catch against the Redskins where he got hit like nine different times and threw up a prayer while he was getting hit (laughs) while Corey was open for like five seconds before he got the ball out, right? We we excuse the process for the results, but it's a reality with Carson. Carson and like, you know, Carson got Big Ben comparisons when he came out. Right. Big Ben for years, right? Anybody who's seen Big Ben playing the AFC Championship game knows he'll just do this stupid thing where he holds the ball with one hand in the pocket and he's getting hit by people and he's bouncing around. And we excuse the process for the results because amazing plays happen. Uh, but but pass protection, a bit of the onus is on Carson. Always. You know what I mean? Like when, when quarterbacks have good awareness, get the ball out quickly or adjust their sets, then we don't notice pressure as much. So uh, like, um, like I said, this is kind of about the idea that other players are allowed to play well. I guess the, the, the two to that one-two punch would be, you know, kind of acknowledge uh, a, a very easy bias to enter, which is the bias of, uh, you know, just selection. Like, what stands out? Like, you're always going to remember sacks because they're very negative plays that happen right on screen. You're not going to remember excellent handlings of twists and stunts because you don't really notice them unless they're pointed out otherwise. So here, here's a couple of things I wanted to touch on off of that, and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll get boogieing. But Isaac Ciamalo, here, here's another part. So with Isaac Ciamalo, you look at the bottom line, and you see how many pressures he gave up, and you say, oh, he had a bad game. That's not necessarily true. His struggles came very early in the game. He acquitted himself very well for the rest of the game, which is nice to see when we've seen someone like like, like Halepulivatsi-Vait. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying he's better than Steven Wisniewski, what I'm saying is he had a rough start to a game, and unlike a guy like a Halapuli Vaitivaitai, it didn't affect him for the rest of the game. It very well could have. He had the mental yep. toughness to get over it, and he had a very good game after that fact, after those early struggles. So we'll see where it goes from there. No promises, but that's a very important context to understand the way that the game flows outside of just the raw numbers. So, number two, a tip. When you're watching football, and this is this is how I watch football, and this is how you can kind of get a better idea of how the line is playing, at least for the initial phase of the play. It is pointless, in my opinion, to watch the quarterback for the first, second, second and a half of the play. You've seen the same thing every single time. Really, all you need to see, you can see the top of the drop, or you can see after the ball is handed off. For the first second to second and a half, what I watch is I focus my eyes guard to guard. That will tell you a lot of the times 
where the play is going. And if it's screen, just follow Jason Kelsey. <laughs> if it's a, if it's a pin pull, just follow Jason Kelsey. So that's going to tell it's, you where the play is going anyway. It's generally just fun to watch Kelsey. And that too. But you're also going to see, you know, in, in pass drops, you don't need to see Carson take those first two steps of a three-step drop. Watch the line. See what's happening. Watch guard to guard. Fix your eyes there. You'll have a better understanding of the play from front to back. That's that's how I watch it. That's how I picked that up from Pat Kerwin's book, Keep Your Eye Off the Ball, years ago. And it changed the way that I watch live football. So pick up that book. Watch football that way. Try it out. See how you like it. And then maybe you'll have a better understanding or at least you'll you'll think that you, you'll notice the line play more. And you'll have a better understanding of it that you can talk with people about and debate in bars and, and, and all that stuff. So a tip yep. for you, dental listener. Uh, ben, anything else to follow up on that before we uh, hit the old dusty trail? Say Amalo. Say Amalo. Am I saying it wrong? I was Say actually going I, I to ask you before if I was saying it correctly. So I figured what I would do was alternate between both of them, aggressively mispronounce <laughs> it either way, and then ask yep. you. So I, give, give it to me how it should be. He's a starter now. I need to show him some respect. Say Amalo. Sayamalo? Yeah, Isaac Sayamalo. Isaac Sayamalo. Yeah. What did I say? Sayumalo or Sayumalo or something like that? Sayamalo. Sayamalo? Say, now, I, now I don't remember Okay, it. stop practicing the wrong way. Sayamalo. <laughs> Sayamalo. Yeah. Uh, no, to the to the Sayamalo performance point, I, I'm, I, uh, I got my jokes off after the first possession, which was really bad. And I, um, you know, I got to take my lump here where jokes are funny, but he had a, uh, he had a good game after that first possession for sure. Two things that I note about Sayamalu, Sayamalu, I almost did it, Sayamalu. <laughs> um, two things I know about Sayamalu uh, that I think we lose uh, when, when he comes in for Wisniewski and then one big plus I think that we gain. Number one, he doesn't have, in my opinion, Wisniewski's recovery ability. Uh, Wisniewski's got a real low-hanging center of gravity uh, and he gets mm. wide base to him. And what that allows you to do is even when you're getting worked half-man, if you keep your feet active, uh, you can really ride that rush past the peak of the pocket. It gives your quarterback room to readjust in the pocket. And I think that that's a, a strength of Wisniewski's is his recovery ability. Uh, Sayamalo is a little bit more upright. Uh, his weight is carried a little bit higher, and that's how he blocks. And so when he gets into a bad situation, his base is a little more narrow. He occupies a little less lateral space, and it's tougher for him to recover. And you see that Limbaugh Joseph uprooted him. And we, we like to see if offensive linemen can re-anchor. They can re-drop their weight. And that's not really something that you saw from Sayamalu. The second thing is he was clearly given more help than Wisniewski typically is when Wisniewski's in. I mean, there were reps yeah. where Kelsey would be free. And Sayamalu, Sayamalu man, yeah. I'm in my own head. Sayamalu had his opponent locked up and Kelsey came and provided help anyway. Even though like Sayamalu had won the rep, uh, which, which simply goes to show like how active Kelsey was in checking on him. That being said, as we knew when he was selected out of Oregon State, really impressive climbing to the second level, Mike. I was really impressed in the run game, how yes. well he took angles coming to the second level. And that was something that we even saw when he would come in as offensive lineman six in jumbo sets, like in, in 13B personnel, they call it, when they've got two tight ends and Sayamalo is the third tight end. <laughs> I'm so in my head. Uh, he takes really great angles to second level, got a lot of quickness to him. Uh, very explosive coming up there, and that's really fun to see. I think that that um that that's a very that's a boon in the rushing game and potentially in the screen game, which has been very dormant uh in the first few weeks of the season that that Wisniewski didn't necessarily offer. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot more outside runs, maybe a little bit more bullet screens from receivers because Sam Allo can get out there, and that's impressive to see. 
it's been a very offensive line heavy podcast, which I like. I love yeah, talking yeah. about line. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, it's it's a, it's an important topic that people are debating right now. We hope you brought more context. I'm glad you brought up the running game because it is important. And these guys are kicking butt as run blockers. It just sucks that our backfield is so banged up. We're down in games. Game script causes us to throw more things of that nature. So it doesn't get the love that it quite deserves. But they are kicking butt in the run game for sure. All right, Ben. We have to get out of here and get to the Giants tape because we're going to preview that coming up next. Ben, say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listener. Thank you, as always, gentle listener, for listening to the Kissed and Solak show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you stopping by. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. He's a hurricane coming for the panhandle of Florida. I just, I, I just learned this. There is a hurricane called Michael coming for where you live. It's a category four. How do you feel? As in rock you like a. I'm exactly. kicking butt. I'm Michael, taking names. rock you like a. Dude, um, I find it very hysterical <laughs> that Hurricane Michael, I literally read it. It's like Hurricane Michael is coming to the panhandle of Florida. I was like, I'm pretty sure Mike lives in the panhandle of Florida. But anyway, uh, Mike will be safe. Everybody will be fine. As Mike yeah. said, short week, so we're kind of blasting out the content here. You're listening to this on a Wednesday. If it's a Thursday, it's too late. None of this information works anymore. Uh, but you're listening to this on a Wednesday. <laughs> Later today, if not already, the Giants All-22 preview is up. Very excited to get into that film. Big divisional game coming up. Obviously, we didn't think this would be as important when we looked at the schedule before the season, but it's a... Uh, it's very much a right the ship sort of a game. You don't want to be in London against Jacksonville trying to right the ship. That's a difficult situation. So you really got to be. Hey, you know what? You know what we did get right. Uh, we got right the fact that the Giants are one in four. I think maybe maybe they're one win over what we expected. <laughs> Listen, 2017 locked on Eagles episode like six. I said like this Giants team sucks. It's gonna be really bad. And like oh Eli Odell was like no it's really bad. Yeah. And then it was. And then a whole year later. People are like, you know who might be good? You know whose offense might be really explosive? It's the Giants. And I said, ah, oh, this team's going to suck. They're not going to be good. Same. So I, I'm i very comfortable with Eli remaining there forever solely so I can have one surefire prediction every season where every national media NFL centered in New York or LA will be like, listen, the Giants offensive personnel. And I'll be like, nope, they're garbage. You played no. too much fantasy. They are garbage. Yeah, so – uh <laughs> we got to break down these Giants. Obviously, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the secondary comes out against the Giants because the secondary has historically been not great against the Giants. But also, I kind of liked some of the adjustments that Schwartz made against Minnesota once I got into mm. the film. So we'll be sure to talk about that. Make sure you listen to those things when they come down the mountain. Rate, review, and subscribe. If not, you're not our friends. If are, you might be our friends. It depends on some other stuff, but it gets you in the door at least. Uh, and uh, like you said, the BLG, May He Forever, May he forever rain, rain, and John Stolnes Preview Podcast. Uh, preview Podcast, that's coming out on Wednesday as well. And there's a lot of running back talk there. So if you want to hear the latest on the trade rumors, the latest on the potential targets, make sure you pop on over to that one. As always, we appreciate you listening. Thanks so much for coming back. We all we got, we all we need. Fly Eagles Fly. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. 
And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team of Flyers.